I'm Richard Gage, AIA, architect of 30 years and member of the American Institute of Architects. I'm founder of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, which has now 3,000 architects and engineers signed on to the petition, demanding a new investigation into the destruction of all three World Trade Center skyscrapers on 9-11. We're concerned about our country. We're concerned about our profession. Uh, we're concerned about the lack of attention from our media and our government officials to what really happened at the World Trade Center. We're talking about controlled demolitions. That's what the forensics and scientific evidence and eyewitness testimony and video testimony shows. It's very clear. We're at AE911truth.org. My name is Tony Arterburn, and I'm the host of the Arterburn Radio Transmission on Truth Frequency Radio. I'm also the founder and CEO of Wise Wolf Gold and Silver Exchange. I'm here this morning with a cup of coffee and my dog, Charlie. Charlie the Chocolate Labrador, Charlie Brown, we're here in studio uh, cutting this um, well, very short message on 9-11 for Mr. Billy Ray Valentine and the Infinite Fringe. I wanted to start by saying that my experience as a combat veteran has defined a great deal of my 9-11 philosophy and it continues to evolve based on new evidence and the study that I do but on September 11, 2001 I was 21 years old I was in the US Army I was a paratrooper and a military policeman at Fort Bragg North Carolina I had recently returned from my first deployment from Kosovo uh, Mr. Clinton uh, had bombed Serbia for 78 days so we were there for six months to patrol the Serbian border and to keep uh, Kosovo out of the hands of the Serbians, which I found out later was uh, Kosovo to the Serbs was what Jerusalem is to the Jews, a very sacred place, and it was wrested from them. So I was there. I didn't understand the context at the time. But 21 years old at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, I was asked to go and power lift again competitively if I wanted to, if uh, I wanted to take on uh, the uh, task of representing the Army in the World Powerlifting Championships. I'd been a, a world champion before, before I joined the Army. I'd set world records, and uh, my colonel, uh, David Bradley, had asked me if I wanted to do that, so I did, and I became a national champion in June of that year. And so I got the chance to represent the United States on the world powerlifting team in Sofia, Bulgaria. And we landed on September 10th, 2001. Now, uh, my dad went with me, and we stayed in the Hotel Hamas, this crappy little hotel. And I'll never forget, we were watching the movie Fight Club. I brought my, my laptop and a DVD copy of Fight Club that I bought in the airport. And as soon as the last scene where they do the controlled demolition of the buildings, when they're bringing everything back to zero, doing the reset, um, I closed the lid of the laptop and turned on CNN, and the first plane had struck the tower. And so we're, my dad and I looked at each other. It's very strange. I hope uh, the casualties aren't as high as we think they are going to be. That's bizarre. I wonder what kind of plane it was. 
I go downstairs to get some bottled water, um, and I come back up, and the second plane had hit the tower. And so that's when I looked at my dad, and he said, we are at war. And I remember just the feeling of uh, cold that ran over me because being the only member of the military there on the U.S. team and being part of an elite unit, I knew what was going to happen to my future uh, when I got back to the United States. And so um, the next you know, event was getting back home, finding out that my unit that I was with had gone to the Pentagon and I was put down on what's called a line unit, which was the 108th MP Company Airborne Air Assault. And we were the first Army company on the ground in Kandahar, Afghanistan, uh, arriving there in calendar year 2001. And so I uh, stayed in Afghanistan for seven months. And, uh, of course, you can see, looking back, how disjointed the and, and compartmentalized the intelligence agencies are. We know now that in July of 2001 that the station chief, the CIA station chief in Dubai had gone and met with Osama bin Laden in the hospital while he was being treated for uh, kidney issues and they were on speaking terms. And then we had uh, knowledge now after research has come out about the um, location of Osama bin Laden in uh, Rawalpindi, Pakistan. In on September 10th, last known. So the intelligence agencies knew where he was, but when I was in Kandahar, Afghanistan, there was some very high-level people there. Uh, every person that was taken off the battlefield was asked the question, when's the last time you've seen Osama bin Laden? Every person that was interrogated, and this was serious business. Now, the people that were there with me had no idea what the other people knew. And this is where it gets complicated about an inside job. It's because they've compartmentalized it. Uh, they've made it sophisticated. They hijacked the very system, in my opinion, that made 9-11 as an inside job possible and would launch us into these cataclysmic wars forever. And, um, you know, I followed that tour with Iraq, which I disagreed with, but I went anyway, obviously. I'm uh, proud to serve with the warrior class. I think some vets have a hard time talking about issues like this because then it makes your service in vain. You find out you were fighting for uh, nefarious and sinister forces and not for freedom. But the way I've been able to, I guess, um, get over that and deal with it is just my love for the warrior class. And I, you know, my wife was my combat medic, my wife Melissa. I love veterans, I love the warrior class, but the warrior class doesn't make decisions on where they go. And that's up to these psychopaths that have created uh, this really uh, <laughs> shitty reality that we now all share because of their uh, sociopath uh, and psychopathic behavior. So looking at it and looking backwards, uh, to me, I had a direct personal involvement in the response to 9-11. But it stays with me, and it gives me more motivation to research and to think a second time, which I think the entire country needs to do. We need to have a second investigation, a real investigation to 9-11. We only spent 
about 13 million on the 9/11 commission and they spent 30 million plus on George W. Bush's second inaugural and they barely got the 13. And they didn't even mention building 7. The entire thing's a fraud. But it's meant to be a fraud. It was a lee hop. It was a let it happen on purpose. You know, you have evidence like the dancing Israelis that were detained for 70 days in federal prison uh, that were later let go uh, through some sort of agreement with the Israeli government. And then you have the University of Alaska Fairbanks. It is the study on Building 7, a uh, very sophisticated study that said that it had to be a simultaneous um, catastrophic event that happened all around the, the structure of the building for it to collapse in on its own footprint, i.e., a controlled demolition so there's so much evidence that stacks up there's so much the insider trading is a huge there's still millions of dollars in trading accounts that was never claimed shorting airline stocks from anonymous accounts uh, prior to the attack um, so there's more than I can even cover here on this short message but I believe 9-11 was carried out not only for the ultra Zionist plan of war forever and chaos and the military industrial complex and everything else not only that or or to roll back freedoms with the patriot act and create this fascistic merger of big tech and government but i believe it was to stop and to uh, hobble our ability to grow as a species as humans as americans uh, to leave this planet to set up uh, bases on Mars and other, in the moon and uh, places um, outside of our solar system, going to the stars and, ba and, and back. And th this is something that the, I believe, the nefarious forces, the psychopaths, have um, set in motion to hobble us because we were just getting to the point where uh, we were about to make a leap, I believe, and that had to do with technology. When you look at the passport that Neo has in the Matrix, it expires on September 11, 2001. To me, that it all goes back to that. It was, in some ways, a ritual. You know, George H.W. Bush, on a Tuesday, September 11, 1990, goes before a joint session of Congress and calls for a new world order three times. And that was a new world order in response to Saddam Hussein's invasion of Kuwait, a country that was literally made up by the pencil of Winston Churchill after World War I, a made-up country on a made-up lines. And they were going to respond with Operation Desert Storm. And, of course, if you even think about the foreign policy implications of all oh, the half a, half a million women and children, Iraqi children that died under the oil-for-food embargo, and Madeleine Albright said that that was acceptable, we wonder why people would be motivated enough to blow themselves up in jet fuel uh, on, uh, on September 11, 2001. And that's why I believe it was a uh, on-purpose uh, event set in motion, and they let it happen. They guided it to completion. And those two dates, the September 11, 1990, Tuesday, and then you fast forward 11 years to the date, to the minute, on a Tuesday, the son, George W. Bush, would be telling the American people uh, about our next steps to go over there and get involved in the Middle East and all the rest. Something that they knew what they were designing all along. So this has been an honor to uh, 
give my just a little bit of insight into 9-11. And uh, I hope it adds value and wisdom to the Infinite Fringe. Thank you so very much. Hi, um, it's Richard here from Glitching the Code, um, glitchingthecode.com and uh, iconic.com. Um, when 9-11 happened, I think I was sitting in my parents' living room. I can't remember how old I was. I must have been 20. Um, around about 20. I was just about to go off to uni for the first time. And I remember watching it on TV, like most people in the UK. And it felt like when you were watching a film, it also felt very bizarre. I don't think we quite understood what was going on at first. Um, I wasn't one of those people that it changed everything for. Back when I was 20 or 19, I wasn't looking into these alternative media type things. And it wasn't one of those moments. And a lot of people say that 9-11 was the moment that woke me up or changed the way I looked at the world. And it wasn't like that for me at all. Um, it was just very bizarre. I had no idea who Osama bin Laden was. I had no idea um, the connections to the Middle East at the time. I had no map for the terrain at all at those times. No understanding of what the project for the New American Century was. No understanding what Agenda 21 was at the time, Agenda 2030 now. Um, so without all of that context, um, it meant one thing, and it meant just a, a really horrible, odd thing to happen. Um, you already know at those points, and I think I already knew, that the Prime Minister wasn't in charge of what they were doing. I innately knew that um, the uh, presidents weren't really in charge. That was something that was innate anyway. I never ever believed that they were. They always seemed like puppets to me. I already knew that George Bush Jr. and Cena weren't nice people. They weren't good people. Um, but I didn't really understand what was going on. It didn't really make a huge impact on me in a sense of learning about these things. These things came later on, um, very organically to me. So when you're looking back at it years later... And you're starting to understand and pick apart how the world actually works, what the Project for New American Century was and what that meant and why 9-11 was the trigger for, um, for, the, for the Army, for the US Army, the UK Army, um, um, for the West invading some of these countries in the East and going in and re regime change for their list of countries um, and why, why that was happening. That came apparent a lot later and it colours it a lot different. I think it was quite clear from the start that it was far more than um, a group of um, a group of men that weren't trained properly with box cutters. That was quite obvious. So it was a very strange thing to watch in one level, but now it has a completely different way. And it's almost like when they, they talk about the esoteric text, when you have you have different layers of understanding, so you'll read it one time, and then you'll understand a different version of it or understand different knowledge, so you'll read it again, it'll mean a different thing. Now when you look back at it, at least completely different things, you have the context of Solomon's Temple and the pillars, um, the Twin Towers there and what that actually means. Then you look into things like even Michael Jackson's Blood on the Dance Floor, and in the background you can see the Twin Towers coming down. You look into some of the, even things like The Simpsons and how it's pre-predicted, pre-programmed, and... Um, understanding what um predictive programming means and understanding what um revelation of the method means and understanding what they were trying to do in the middle east and why they were taking over and the prophecies for the solomon's temple and the second coming the messiah the rapture and all of these strange things that they're still trying to bring around now but through the technocracy um it's the same understanding so looking back at it now it means a completely different thing to me than what it did originally at the time it was just a very strange situation but and um, being in the uk it didn't have a huge impact 
and it wasn't the moment that woke me up and I hate that word and I hate that term and I think we all do uh, people that work in in um in this sort of research um but it was something that I looked back on a few years later and started to realize and put the pieces together on on why it happened and what it really was truly about and just the strange things about it and how it connects into this global cult. David Icke calls it Sabbatier Frankism. You can call it the Illuminati. You can call it Deep State, whatever you want to call it. There's a hidden hand of very rich banking cartels, banking elite, um, the black nobility, and it goes into Satanism and into Saturn worship. And you go deeper and deeper into that stuff off the back of that. So that wasn't the thing that catapulted me into understanding that stuff that came about very organically and then i came back to 9-11 and started to understand what it represented why it was almost uh, to me it's kind of like a um a ritual event than it is an actual event in itself of terrorism and that's what it means to me you now it's a ritual event it was a signpost um the same when you start to understand what the statue of liberty actually means uh, it's queen Semiramis, and it's a version of the virgin mary you start to realise what this symbology means. The whole situation means something completely different. I think Diana's um, death meant woke me up more to understanding, and that was a few years before in 1997. That and that I started to was one of the things that I started to look into and go, hang on a minute, that's dodgy as hell. Um, hitting the 13th pillar, the tunnel that she died in is as esoteric um, meanings to it. And you just, under France, I mean, there's so much Satanism going on under the city of Paris. I mean, it's it's amazing when you look into these things. So 9-11 was one of those pieces of the puzzle that almost was sitting in the box and got put in later for me um, and um, started to make sense, especially of the esoteric prophecy stuff. And I think what people need to understand now is go look back at all of these events in the new light of understanding the technocracy that's going about and understand the prophecies of the second coming of the Messiah, the rebuilding of Solomon's temple, the rapture, the seven day was it the seven year war and a thousand years living under the the glory of this new world, this golden age, second golden age. Um, and now it has a complete different context when you look at it like that. The symbology of it alone. And obviously it allowed um, it gave the uh, excuse for um, for the cabal to go into the Middle East and completely destroy it take over it um, and move their embassy into Jerusalem and build this thing towards the new Solomon's temple so right now when I look back at it it has more of an esoteric meaning than it had at the time um, I was watching on the telly didn't really know what it meant didn't have a clue um, it was one of those things I can't remember a lot about it I think it's very very different for the US than it is in the UK we're um, very secular here in the UK and um, um, I think it's had a more of an impact on my work and my research later on in years. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing to, to look back and see what it actually meant. And I think, like these biblical texts, like these esoteric texts, and even the Book of Enoch and the things they've taken out, as you go on this journey of learning more and more, these things mean different things. It's multi-layered understanding. It's almost like going down into different realities of understanding um, of what these things mean. And these things never mean what they, they appear to mean on the surface. They always have multiple alternative meanings. It's compartmentalized knowledge, pretty much like the Masons or any of these cabals and these satanic uh, rituals. Uh, sorry, uh, 
groups, um, secret societies, the higher you go up, what meant something one day means something different the next. Um, it's symbology. So it means something different now than it meant then completely, and I'm sure it'll mean something different in 10 years' time. Um, but it is a pillar of truth. It's one of these um, cornerstones of understanding what this cabal, these uh, banking elite families, these, and I call them elites because that's what they do, but they're not really, they're not, not they're a different bloodline. Uh, these draconian rules that we see coming out with our modern day 9-11 is the COVID-19, the coronavirus. It's the same thing. It's the trigger. It's the excuse to bring in all these Orwellian rules and all these draconian laws and, and the, the fourth Reich are behind it. And fascism, this global fascism is what we're seeing right now. Only today, sitting here recording this, Boris Johnson, the UK Prime Minister, I say that with tongue in cheek, um, has come out and been told what he's, he should do by his Rothschild handlers. And he's come out and said that we're only allowed to gather in, in groups of six now. Now what sort of psychopath thinks that that is... Even something you have the right to say and put in place. These are the lunatics that we're dealing with. And unfortunately most people won't have started this journey. So I'd just like to end it with this I suppose is that a lot of the people that are only just coming to understand that there is a fourth Reich there are a group, a small group of very, very powerful, well not powerful because they only have the power we give them, very, very rich um, banking families and black nobility cartels and fake royals that are controlling and pulling the strings of the world, that people are only just starting to understand that maybe there is something here. So we have to, as people that have been doing this for a long time, 20 plus years, um, we need to understand that they're only just understanding this and they're not going to be up to par and they're not going to see things like track and trace um, nanobots in possible vaccines that Bill Gates um, patenting um, biometrics um, on your smartphone so we basically become a rat in the wheel they're not going to understand that Bill Gates um, the likes of Bill Gates was connected to the Nazi party through IBM and his mum and connected to um, Planned Parenthood which is a eugenics cult um, they're not going to understand that and they're not going to understand that very quickly and that's the heartbreaking thing here heartbreaking thing here is that they're going to have to come up to speed with something that we had 15 20 years to get our heads around um, they're not going to understand what's going on and I think we should be mindful of that that the people wearing masks and doing all these going along with these stupid rules don't have the map for the terrain and I didn't when 9-11 happened I didn't have the map for terrain so I didn't know what it meant and um, one day they'll look back on this and what is happening now will mean something completely different and it's going to be a short sharp wake up call much as 9-11 was for many many people and still is today um, so remember that what seems to be seems to mean one thing once you research it means something completely different on a on a macro scale of this whole satanic pandemic technocracy fourth reich plan that we're seeing unfold here in 2020 and we need to be the bearers of this information and spread it far and wide as we can whilst we can
Hello out there, I'm the host of the Michael Deacon program. You can find my show live on a YouTube or on most podcast platforms. We hope you stop in. Whenever I think about the events of September 11th, I'm instantly brought back, waking up that morning, stretching out, walking to the kitchen and seeing my father. He tells me the World Trade Center was attacked. In that moment in time, I didn't really have any understanding of what kind of business was even being conducted at the World Trade Center. I had zero clue. My father told me that this was going to be talked about for a very long time to come. He was right. But as of the year 2020, the mainstream media almost seems like they don't want you to remember what happened. They don't want you to remember seeing the NYC bomb squad at Ground Zero. But that's another story. Let me continue. When I got to school that morning, every teacher at school talked about what was going on, what happened every class. We were watching the news. I'm not sure what good came from it. Because every kid in class was completely freaked out. I even recall a number of students being taken out of class by their parents. I remember one of my teachers, a male teacher, he was extremely emotional and wanted revenge, like most people did, and that's when I got on the internet, and I had remembered the original bombing of the World Trade Center, and I started looking up information, and that's what got me started to think a little bit further. By the end of the day, the banter continued among students and teachers, and then my next class, I did have the opportunity to open my mouth and I raised my hand and I asked the teacher what if our government allowed this to happen and the teacher was furious. I was kicked out of class and that's the moment things changed for me. I felt back then that 9-11 was an inside job. I had no evidence of it personally but that didn't matter. I felt back then that something strange just took place right before our very own eyes. Even the online communities, pretty spot on with their assumptions as well. That morning I learned about FEMA. I even came across a FEMA handbook dating back to 1997 that featured crosshairs on the World Trade Center. Later that day I learned about various drills that are conducted all by coincidence. Drills seem to manifest into reality. Rather bizarre, right? Everything just seems like one big coincidence right after another. All of these years later and the American government has done a tremendous job keeping its citizens asleep and ignorant. I wish that wasn't the case. But no, we are treated like the proverbial cog in the machine. After 9-11 you felt the sadness and absolute fear in the air. Those who have recollection of that week know what I'm talking about. We were given a dose of false unity. Never in my life have I ever felt that way and I doubt we will ever feel that way again. Unless something awful happens, of course. Let's hope nothing happens the time you hear this audio. The official narrative we run with in America tells us, in the early morning of September 11th, 19 hijackers took control of four airliners taking off from different airports in the US. The terror attacks on September 11th, 2001 were the deadliest attacks on US soil since Pearl Harbor. The plane hijackings that struck the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and Pennsylvania killed 2,977 people. The attacks dramatically changed the U.S. and that kicked off the War on Terror. One memory that will always stay stuck playing in my mind were the innocent people stuck in the North Tower. People stared from the windows of those towers trapped by the smoke and flame 
At this point, anyone with a soul felt incredible sadness seeing those humans stuck way up there knowing there's no way in hell we could help those people. At least 200 people are reported to have jumped. An estimate of 2,753 people were killed in New York that morning. The issue of knowing who was really behind 9-11 is of paramount importance to the future of this country, as the official assumption that it was a work of 19 Arab amateurs does not match the facts. These events led directly to the Patriot Act, the illegal Iraq war, NASA spying on Americans. It was wrong then and it's wrong today. Why were there explosions in the basements before the airplanes hit these buildings? Why did Building 7 come down later that afternoon, even though no plane hit that building? There was no jet flame that engulfed the building, nothing. Most people don't even know about Building 7. The official story is nonsense, and 80% of the country accepts the narrative without question. If you don't believe me, just ask any random person you can find in their mask. Ask them about 9-11. Ask them about Building 7. They'll tell you Bin Laden was responsible. There's far too much data that proves that the American people were deceived that Tuesday morning. The terror attacks of September 11th were used to justify systematic surveillance and the dismantling of our constitutional rights. That was the end game. The choice is yours, my friends. Hey everybody, this is Wayne from the Alchemical Tech Revolution YouTube channel. Uh, I was asked by my good friend Billy Ray Valentine to uh, recall 9-11, the day that it happened, uh, where I was and the things I was doing. It just so happens uh, I remember the day very well. Uh, I was actually, I was working in route sales at the time and uh, I was on my way uh, to one of my accounts which uh, was uh, in a remote location it was you know a, a very country type of area uh, not heavily populated up on a mountain so I was going up the mountain and uh, in the, the truck that I had the company vehicle at the time uh, we didn't have any kind of radios or anything like that so I just had this old uh, like tape deck type radio that just had an AM FM receiver in it so that was on my dashboard there. So on the radio, I tried to tune in different uh, FM channels, and I was flipping through across the dial because it was one of those old-school tuners on, on the thing to try and find something to listen to. And I was listening to some music, and uh, the music had ended, and then a program came on. And what happened to come on was actually the, the Howard Stern show. So I was in between my stops and stuff like that. So I figured I, I would just leave the channel on because, you know, there was no sense uh, because it was only a couple minutes away from stop to stop. So there's no sense in really fiddling around with the dial. So I was listening to the Howard Stern show. And uh, as I was listening to Howard Stern, um, what had happened was they, they started talking about a plane hitting the World Trade Center tower. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, this is Howard Stern, so it's probably not serious. There's probably some joke involved or something like that. And, uh, you know, I was just waiting for the punchline. And while they're on the air talking about this, uh, apparently they had the TV on there in the studio that they were recording in at the time. And uh, as they're talking, they see the second plane hit the second tower while they're talking. And so they really started to panic there because I guess they were recording. They were right in New York City at the time recording this. So I'm listening to this program and I'm thinking, 
Okay, this is not really starting to sound like a joke because I, you know, I, I thought it's Howard Stern. It's not anything like I, I figured it was some kind of a prank or something or, you know, a, a, I was waiting for the punchline basically, but there was no punchline. So as I'm listening to that, um, it, it's beginning to dawn on me what, you know, this might be something real. So I flipped over the dial on the radio to the AM station to our local news radio channel and, uh, Sure enough, I'm listening on there, and they were starting to cover it, that this had happened, and the the panic that ensued was just unbelievable. I remember the, the feeling I got in the pit of my stomach at that point, because I honestly thought uh, that this was another Pearl Harbor type attack or something on America going down. So I was uh, a little shaken by it. So I got to my next account, which was a... Uh, a supermarket uh, in, in an area called Mountaintop, Pennsylvania. And uh, I, I went in there uh, like I normally would. And, you know, I, I buzzed the, the buzzer at the back door and the manager let me in. And I asked him, I said, Frankie, do you, do you know what's going on? Have you seen the TV or anything today? And he's like, no, what's going on? So I, I told him what I was listening to on the radio. And uh, so he goes and he grabs this old... Uh, TV, this little TV that he had in his office, and he plugs it in back there on the receiving desk back in the uh, the stock room of the grocery store. So we're there watching it, and they're showing the video of the plane hitting the World Trade Center, and they're talking about, the, you know, the second plane hitting and stuff. So, I mean, we were really just both kind of paralyzed at that point with this whole thing. It was a traumatic experience uh, for everybody who remembers that day. So... We had watched this, and then I, I just remember just having this feeling the whole day, and, and just uh, we were glued to the televisions and the, and the radios, and everywhere I went the rest of the day. In fact, I didn't even finish out my whole day. I wound up calling it quits early and just going home because I was so concerned about the things happening. And then later we heard about the, the plane crashing into the Pentagon and the one going down in the field, uh, you know, out in uh, towards Pittsburgh, toward that way. So or Shanksville, or whatever the, the name of the place was I, I that I'm blanking on now. So it was a really scary day, and they actually dismissed my oldest son from school early because he was, he was very young at the time. Uh, he doesn't really remember well how exactly it went down. He was only like eight years old or something at the time. So uh, it was a little bit frightening. So, you know, I went home and uh, was glued to the news for the next couple days. And at that point... Uh, I had never really paid attention to any kind of political things, but because of listening to the local talk radio, I started listening to, like, Rush Limbaugh on a regular basis, and I, I got a little bit more involved with political things. Uh, so that's kind of where that got in my, my frame of mind there. So... And lo and behold, over the course of the next few weeks, there, all these stories come out, and uh, there's this these pictures that come out, like you know, in mainstream newspaper publications and stuff, showing pictures of somebody taking, uh, like, a picture on top of the World Trade Center with the airplane in the background coming towards the tower, and all these things were later proven to be hoaxes. And one was a picture of smoke with the devil's face in it and things like that. All this stuff later proved out to be hoaxes. But uh, at the time, I was really gripped with all of this and uh, really thinking that there was something major going down. And then, they, you know, they started to put together the, the narrative of uh, what had happened that day. And, uh, 
even though I, I didn't really think the narrative sounded like it made sense, I still kind of, you know, thought, okay, all right, this is how it happened. And I had heard, uh, you know, about how they found the, the passports. And that kind of didn't sit right with me, but it kind of, I just put it in the back of my mind and forgot about it. And then, you know, I just got busy with everyday stuff. Uh, and over the next couple of weeks, everything started to go mostly back to normal. So I kind of put all of that in the back of my mind and didn't really think much of it until about five years later. Uh, when uh, in the midst of uh, finding out something to the effect of uh, the fact that World Trade Center Building 7 had collapsed that day, and I never even heard about that or knew about that, and I did a little looking into that and discovered it, uh, it didn't make sense. Then I started to understand, okay, maybe there's something different going on, and that's when I started watching all kinds of documentaries like... Uh, what, what's the one that Alex Jones did? The In Plain Sight one? Uh, that was a really good one. And I, that kind of opened my eyes to the whole 9-11 thing. But I hadn't really thought much about it uh, with for like about five years, until five years after it happened. And uh, as it occurs to me today, I, I realize today that it's most likely, it was most likely a ritual initiation. And that's basically what it is the whole thing was a ritual event uh, for the the sake of causing um, mass trauma in in the people it's a, it's a trauma-based mind control ritual the whole thing that's what it was that's what I understand now but that took many years of research to come to that conclusion and uh, you know it was something that I kind of didn't think much about after the first couple weeks of that the incident had happened and you know they we went to war in Iraq and all these other things that just didn't make sense and eventually it all kind of added up to me to know that the the official narrative they were giving us just was not on par with what was really going on so when I started digging heavily into research and other things lo and behold the occult aspects of it always come up and that that's what it was with 9-11 this was an occult ritual a, a trauma-based mind control ritual it was an initiatory rite and make no mistake about it that's what it was it was an initiatory ritual ceremony and this is what had played out on our televisions and in in, a, in our lives back in 2001 and lo and behold here we are 2020 19 years later uh, a metonic cycle later exactly and uh, we're going through all this with corona another thing that's changing the face of how the world looks so this is what it what it was it was a uh, a ritual and it was a ritual used to change the the outlook of the world and we're going through another one today and this is all very cyclical and repeatable so that's my story as to uh what i remember about that day it was a very traumatic day and uh, it sticks with us and even even this many years later it's almost 20 years later it's 19 years later I still remember it like it was yesterday because those feelings, those emotions that something like that stirs up, which it's designed to do, by the way, because that's what the ritual is designed to do, uh, they stick with you. And, and even after you realize you've been duped with the whole thing as to what had really happened, it, that still sticks with you. And that's the important takeaway uh, that we need to make is this, this trauma sticks with you. 
and it's the same thing we've seen it before with the Kennedy assassination all the way on up through to what we're going through today this trauma sticks with people even if you later find out it, you were duped you've been lied to about it it wasn't uh, wasn't presented to you how things actually went so that's where I'm at with that so if anybody's interested in checking out my work it's Alchemical Tech Revolution at youtube.com I have a new book coming out very very soon here uh, that one will be out shortly. It's called Cybernetic Messiah, Building the Antichrist System. So people could check me out there. Also, I'm available uh, every Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Secrets of Saturn Live. So uh, I wanted to thank Billy Ray for thinking of me uh, with this whole 9-11 tribute that he wants to do. And, uh, you know, I'll be talking to you guys soon. Thanks. Hello, this is Steven Snyder, a.k.a. S. William Snyder, a.k.a. Recluse. I am the longtime curator of the uh, Bisup blog, which is uh, B-I-S-U-P, uh, V-I-E-W dot blogspot dot com, for those of you who may be interested in checking it out. I am also the host of The Farm Podcast, uh, which you can find at thefarmpodcast.com. And uh, I'm also the author of Strange Tales of the Parapolitical and my forthcoming new book, which will be called A Special Relationship, Trump, Epstein, and the Secret History of the Anglo-American Establishment, Book One, which will hopefully be out by October 15th. So lots of good stuff with that. All right. So you want to know about 9-11? Okay. Well, 9-11 um, happened, obviously, in 2001. I would have been 19 years old at the time. Um, which means essentially when it happened, I probably would have been getting high and that was exactly what was going on. Uh, specifically, I was on my way to college. Uh, once upon a time, I was actually a budding psych uh, young psychology major before uh, I was arrested a couple of times. Anyway, uh, there was, uh, this was when I was going to uh, Daytona Beach Community College. I think it actually finally made its way up to a state school, but back then it was DBCC. It's right in the heart of Daytona, and there was this marvelous little um, kind of back road, country road, that was just sort of like right in the middle of the, uh, the city, basically, that went behind the airport. It was kind of a shortcut that you could take to get to the college. Uh, it was also good because there wasn't usually a lot of traffic on it. It was isolated, and it was a great place to spark a joint up. Um, and I'm pretty sure that's what I was doing at the exact moment when 9-11 happened. I was driving in my car, getting high, probably listening to Black Sabbath or something like that. So I don't have like a really dramatic story or anything like that. Um, I made it to DBCC and it was about 10.30ish or something. I think that was the block I had for the class that day. Uh, it was a journalism class, ironically enough. Uh, was quite blitzed when I got up into the journalism class, sat down at the back. Uh, one of my classmates turned and looked at me and uh, asked, have you heard about the towers? Towers, I said, what about the towers? What towers? And I had no idea what he was talking about. Uh, you know, the twin towers, man. I mean, the attack on them, he says. What attack, I say? He goes, well, they're totally gone. Like, absolutely, somebody just flew some planes into them. I was like, really? You know, I mean, it was just absolutely startling. Um, yeah. 
Uh, I think that was probably the first time when the significance set in. And then, of course, uh, I believe this was the day where I only had that one particular class. I headed back home uh, to change and start getting ready to go to my job. I was a 7-Eleven clerk at the time. And, uh, yeah, I think that was, you know, around the time when the gravity really started to set in. I can remember my uh, mom sitting around looking at the TV, being very concerned and so forth. Uh, but I am proud to say that my dad knew it was BS from pretty much the very beginning. <laughs> I can have remember him sitting there next to my mom. My mom is almost in tears, and he's basically going, this is the biggest crock of shit I've ever seen. <laughs> I was shocked uh, when he said that. I was pretty thoroughly indoctrinated and brainwashed by the public school system at that point in my life. So it was many, or not many, but it was several years later. Um until I had really started to reassess it. Um, in truth, though, even though I've covered a lot of different, uh, you know, conspiratorial topics over the course of my, I guess, career in this medium, which has somehow spanned almost a decade now, 9-11 um, honestly was never as interesting to me as a lot of other stuff. Um, I know that probably seems incredible to a lot of people because, um, you know, I would have been the exact age to be as, you know, maximum impact from it, if you will. Uh, and I'm not trying to suggest at all that I don't think it's significant. I mean, it certainly was and all of the players behind it and everything like that. But I just, for whatever reason, it never really called out to me to investigate. I mean, I think I've only really read um, one or two books on it. I mean, I'm certainly much more knowledgeable on something like the Kennedy assassination than I would be. 9-11 but uh you know that's kind of my style though i've always been drawn to more arcane fields of research i mean 9-11 everybody looks at 9-11 and it's, it's one of those things where i just don't know if there's a lot that i could add to it in regards to you know some of the other stuff that's been done but um you know certainly if you guys want to know a really great take on it i would recommend going to the glorious institute for the study of globalization and covert politics and check out the 9-11 section that joel or joel excuse me has got there it is in my opinion the most authoritative account you're going to find of all the players involved in 9-11 and so forth um and then you know on another note too i've also just been reluctant to really get into it for a while now because i feel like just the the fog of war, if you will, is still so great around it. Uh, I mean, it really took just decades until I think we could even begin to get a remotely accurate picture of what happened with the JFK assassination. Uh, it just still seems like 9-11 is so elusive and there's just so much disinformation with it that um, we might still have a ways to go until we get even closer to the truth. But, you know, again, it is a significant event. Um, Definitely, it was a major moment for a lot of people. I mean, not so much my moment of clarity, if you will, that didn't come to many years later, but uh, it's certainly understandable for people who do have a profound uh, experience from it. Uh, there's no doubt. I mean, for those of us who were there for it, it was certainly incredible to be alive on that day. Suppose that's a good way to end it, so I shall sign off from there. Uh, thank you for letting me participate in this. Hello everybody, hope you're doing well. I am John Brisson. I am the host and investigative journalist of the We've Read the Documents YouTube channel. And I'm gonna discuss with you 
my beliefs of what happened on a day that was a pivot point in world history, which was September 11th, 2001. Now, I was a sophomore in high school. I uh, was going to Southview High School, and I was in Mr. Autry's homeroom during the time that the attacks occurred. And a teacher had knocked on the door of, of the hut and wheeled in a television and hooked it up to cable and said that we had been attacked. And I was wondering, I was like, who could, who, whom could have attacked us? Who are we at war with? Now, at the time, I was a neoconservative Zionist. And because of that, when I witnessed, um, you know, viewing the footage of that early age as the planes hit the towers, I believed that it was the, the Arabic hijackers who hijacked the planes being led by Al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden which would later be justified for the Afghanistan war in the Middle East, and then also us to go over the supposed weapons of mass destruction by Saddam Hussein in Iraq. And so I believe that. I had gotten my politics from my grandfather, who was a neoconservative. You know, I've spoken on my program many times that my father was a conspiracy theorist. He was a progressive and um, he did not believe right away that there was some, you know, that in the standard narrative, that he believed that there were some shenanigans that were going on. And though he kind of, at first, saw Afghanistan as being, you know, maybe we should go take out Al-Qaeda, eventually he realized that that was a complete error and was definitely not for the war in Iraq. And he did dislike to Bush. Now I myself believed the lie for many years, as many Americans have done. It was one faithful night in 2008. I was staying up and I was listening to Coast to Coast AM. My father used to play Coast to Coast AM in the evenings. I used to listen to our bell with him when he was still living. And Alex Jones came on with George Norrie and talked about how 9-11 was an inside job, that it was done with the involvement of the Bush administration and with Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld and, you know, the military-industrial complex. And at first I was like, there's no way that, I, you know, I, there's no way I could have been, been fooled about this. The government would never lie. But I started doing research and then I learned how foolish I truly was that the government was involved in 9-11. Now, I understand that there are numerous discussions of whether it's lie-hop, you know, let it happen on purpose, or um, um, that, that, it, that, it, that it did happen on purpose, you know, uh, my hop, you know. And, and, I, and I, underst I understand that. You know, I, I get it. Uh, just like there are... Um, discussions of whether or not it was thermite or micro nukes or directed energy weapons 
And I could see the debates for all of those things. However, I do believe that there are quite a few things that are being left out by most people when they discuss the world event of 9-11. And yes, I do believe that there was a spiritual warfare and battle that happened for the soul of many people throughout the world on that day. I do think that there was a ritual that happened on September 11th. But more than that, though, or at least not more per se, but a few points that I think people don't know, which goes along with my research into such groups as the Counts for National Policy, which is a very secretive group that controls a lot of the truth movement. Alex Jones is a member. Joel Skousen is a member. Paul Craig Roberts is a member. A lot of our truth movement is controlled by the Council for National Policy. And a lot of the conservative movement is controlled by the Council for National Policy. Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, Mark Levin, among others. So, of course, you know, when I learned about the CAP in 2016 from watching Josh Reese's excellent documentaries, The Secret Right Volume 1 and The Secret Right Volume 2, it made me realize that they were just like the Council on Foreign Relations, the Council for National Policy, this more secretive group, in my opinion. They were directly involved in the 9-11 operation. So I'm going to go over a few things with you real quick to try to make my point of why the CMP was involved in 9-11 just as much as the CFR, you know, the globalist side of the world, or the CMP is more of the um, Fabian socialist side. So the project for the new American century, PNAC, as it's known, were the architects for 9-11 in the Middle Eastern Wars. PNAC's stated goal was to pro promote American global leadership. American leadership is good both for America and for the world, they claimed. And they sought to build support for a Reaganite policy of military strength and moral clarity. Most conspiracy researchers know that some of the members that are involved with the Project for New American Century are CFR members. However, there are many Council for National Policy members or speakers that are involved with PNAC as well including William Crystal. His father, Irving Crystal, was also a member of the CMP. Vice President Dick Cheney, Donald Rumsfeld, Karl Rove, Frank Gaffney, the millionaire Steve Forbes, John Bolton, the ardent neocon and Zionist, William J. Bennett, Gary Bauer, Paul Wolfowitz, Norman Potteritz, Former Vice President under George H.W. Bush, Dan Quell, R. James Woolsey, and Elliot Abrams. Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld attended a Council for a National Policy meeting shortly after the invasion of Iraq. Dick Cheney has spoken at multiple CMP meetings and has attended CMP meetings as late as 2011. Now here I'm about to disclose something to you about... 9-11 that has not been disclosed to many people beforehand 
The Altiqua Bank is a financial institution incorporated in 1988 and has multiple connections to members within the CMP. The bank is based out of the Bahamas, Switzerland, and Liechtenstein. The Altiqua Financial Network was set up in 1988 by prominent members of the Muslim Brotherhood, most notably Altiqua chairman and co-founder Youssef Nada. Another co-founder of the bank was the Swiss Francois Gnaud, one of the key managers of Nazi assets after World War II. Gwinnod is notable for having been the executor of the last will and testament of Joseph Goebbels, and he made a fortune publishing Goebbels' diaries, which he held with the posthumous rights for, along with the rights for Hitler, for at least a decade. Altiqua Bank was targeted early on by the United States because of his known links to Osama bin Laden's family in the funding of Al-Qaeda. Sheikh Allah bin Muslim was a key member of the Altiqua Bank and a figure who has been subject to the early investigation by the United States government for his role in the Hunt Brothers' attempt to corner the world's silver, mar silver market in the 1980s. Now, the Hunt brothers and the Hunt family were f founders and financiers among many of the Council for National Policy. The Hunt brothers set up their company, International Metals Investment Company, with Muslim listed as a principal for the company. Council for National Policy members Carl Rove and Grover Norquist founded the Islamic Free Market Institute and appointed Khalid Safari who was a protege of Abdurrahman Alumadi. Alumadi was arrested and was later convicted and sentenced for, to 23 years in prison for the involvement in the plot to assassinate Saudi Crown Prince Abdullah. The Islamic Free Market Institute accepted $20,000 in donations from the Safa Trust. Safa Trust is funded by Yusuf Nada, who has assets frozen shortly after 9-11 on suspicion of funding Al-Qaeda. So simply forth, what I'm putting is that the Al-Qaeda in and of itself was set up and funded by the Central Intelligence Agency, other various branches of the American government and military, and the Council for National Policy. And it was funded by the silver that was supposed to be seized by the United States government from the hunts for them trying to attempt to corner the market and for them to pay back they're shorting and fines. But instead, they took that silver and put it on three 707 jets and brought them to the Altiqua Bank when they would be later be used to fund Al-Qaeda. The boogeyman. In 9-11. So the CMP was directly involved in 9-11. Just as much as the CFR is. And one last thing in closing, there are many countries that were involved in 9-11. It wasn't only just the United States and various Arab interests. Many people talk about Israel's involvement, which Alex Jones has not discussed in years. There's also the involvement of Russia, which Daniel Hopsicker has wrote extensively in his books, as well as the role in Sw of Switzerland, like I just mentioned earlier with Altiqua Bank. So there are many countries, many countries, the Five Eye countries as well, that were involved in 9-11. It wasn't only the American government and various Arab interests, like Saudi Arabia, for example, or Pakistan, the Pakistani ISI. So remember, 9-11 is more complex than any of us ever wrap our heads around 
were all attacking different parts of the Hydra. Some with good intentions, some to lead us astray. But remember, no matter what, 9-11 was done as a mass ritual of control by the World Order and as a way to harm those who they see as a threat, like us, who speak the truth. My name is Mark Kulak. Back, back on that day of September 11th, the year 2001, I was a 26-year-old software engineer who was working at a data storage manufacturer called EMC Corporation. My office was located about 30 miles west of Boston. Back then, I was just getting settled into life, having gotten married just a year before and having purchased my first home in that same year. It was just my fourth year as a software engineering professional, and I had been assigned a task to re-engineer huge uh, software component uh, for EMC's uh, top-selling storage systems. Uh, big opportunity, big opportunity for me at such a you know, comparatively young age. So for the next pre, uh, three weeks, for the previous three weeks, I should say, or perhaps even all summer, I can't even remember, I had been working around the clock and even weekends, writing and rewriting the core software components and all of that uh, related documentation, multiple times, in fact. Now, that day of September 11th, 2001, was going to be a big day, big day for me in so many ways. Professionally, 9 a.m. that day, I was going to present the current status of that re-engineering task. Uh, uh, and then perform a lab demonstration to two of the top EMC engineering department directors in my building. And I was confident. Uh, lots of progress were made, uh, but I was feeling anxious at the same time. Anxious, and I was pretty exhausted uh, after having invested all that time into it. Personally, uh, uh, it was also a huge day for my family as well. My wife had been in a multi-year, ugly, expensive custody battle with her ex-husband, uh, and father of her uh, six-year-old boy, who now, of course, was my stepson. After many tens of thousands of dollars of legal costs and countless ugly letters and heated phone calls over many months, and perhaps it was even uh, years, that very day was going to be the day that the state of Massachusetts sent a court-appointed guardian to our home and judged my wife's fitness to be a mother. And you can only imagine how that makes me feel, that someone is judging my wife, my wife's, uh, ability and, uh, and the future mother of my children, our children, uh, to be uh, how fit uh, she is going to be to be a mother. So my wife, Cheryl, she's been cleaning, arranging, prepping every single imaginable detail of the home, worried about the tiniest of things that could be exploited. So put it mildly, she was a little bit <laughs> nervous. So a little before 9 a.m. that morning, a teammate of mine, Michael, Walked by my cubicle and said, you got to see this. And he encouraged me to open up a web browser on my computer, look at the top story, and lo and behold, it looked like a small plane had just smashed into the World Trade Center. Now, planes have hit New York City buildings before. Uh, it's not the not the first time, uh, but we figured, you know, small amateur, a uh, small plane, Piper Cub, uh, amateur pilot, who knows, foggy conditions, maybe, even though it turned out to be very sunny that day. Naturally, serious situation would have most likely resulted in fatalities, but we had our work to do. We had our tasks. So we went back to it. And another two minutes after that, I had started my demonstration. Walked out to that computer lab, greeted those engineering directors who strolled in, of course, a couple of minutes after the hour, and then proceeded to, to, to start to do the demo. Uh, before I made a whole lot of progress, they said that there had been a EMC corporate business acquisition in the works. 
That was close to being completed, and they were going to consider an alternative architecture that was already that was going to be read, uh, readily available in that soon-to-be-acquired business, meaning that all the work I had done was <laughs> pretty much for nothing. Of course, my heart sank. They said, don't take it personally. We still want you to be a project lead. There's still going to be integration, etc., etc. Uh, and to, you know what? They knew I had worked uh, around the clock over the weekend, take the rest of the day off if I needed to, catch up on rest. In the long run, by the way, it did turn out to be a, a, a good thing uh, for them because they had a, a well-tested piece of software to, uh, to build on. Anyways, all that was only 20 minutes. A lot happening in the course of a small period of time. So it's all, now it's only 9.20 in the morning, September 11th, 2001. I'm stunned. What do I do? Open up an internet browser, get an update on that plane accident, and it shows me two planes hit. Of course, being an engineer, I run the math in my head. The odds of that happening and being purely an accident are impossible. So it must have been intentional, meaning we're looking at some type of uh, terrorist attack. And then the news also said one of the planes was potentially large. I, I was thinking Piper Cub, but look, it turns out to be a, potentially a jumbo jet. Very, very, very serious. Stunned and rattled, I go back to my cubicle, probably grabbing an extra soda on the way. Uh, maybe I responded to a couple of emails, cleaning up some files. But it was really clear that today was going to be different. Uh, in so, so many ways. And it was around 9.35 a.m. or so, I guess, uh, my friend Mike again walks by my cubicle. Now, this time, he didn't actually walk in, though. He simply said, they got the Pentagon. And then he went into his cubicle, which was immediately to the right of mine. So, there it was. The USA was under attack. World War III. Big planes, tall towers. Oh, my goodness, are these things going to fall over. I'd grown up just outside of New York City. I loved those buildings. I loved those buildings. I loved Manhattan. So I called Cheryl and asking her, what are we going to do? <laughs> World War III, you know, should we uh, pack the car and head to the mountains? What's going to happen? Are there going to be nuclear weapons? Are any planes going to land at all <laughs> anywhere? Seems like everything is hitting something. Cheryl, she was at home again, doing all, all of that prep work. She had been listening to the radio, you know, morning, uh, morning rock station, heard the news, sat down, had to turn on the TV. After several minutes and what turned out to be, I guess, 9.59 a.m., uh, Cheryl was watching the tower collapse as I was talking to her on the phone. And she described to me exactly what it looked like as it was falling down. And I figured it would have tipped, but it just kind of turned into rubble, turned into dust. And maybe the concrete was weakened by the plane collision, the impact. I don't know. I'm not a structural engineer. I don't know how well these buildings are made. I knew that they were pretty strong, but who knows, right? So the court guardian still visited that day. Of course, she was hoping the, that the visit would have been canceled. The guardian, that is. The visit did go splendidly. Everything turned out. Custody was maintained in the long run, etc. Uh, but uh, I do remember, I still remember the eeriness, the eerie, quiet skies. Usually so quiet, so blue. We just get uh, used to, we get accustomed to the noise and uh, all of the uh, clouds that come with those planes. And, and that day was just, it was just different, very quiet. Anyways, of course, Cheryl uh, was uh, happy that uh, things turned out to uh, well in the long run. Uh, but that day, she did find out in the middle of the day uh, that her ex-husband, and again, the person that she's in this ugly custody battle with, happened to be flying out of Boston to the west coast 
San Francisco. So for a couple of hours, in addition to all of the anxiety of this, uh, this court judgment coming down, of, uh, you know, are the schools going to be okay? Uh, everything that had already gone into that day, she's also worried that her ex-husband and her son's uh, father perhaps had just died in a plane accident. Later on that day, she was able to touch base with him. Things were okay. But all of that additional anxiety was built into that day. Now, I remember that night, turning on the TV, family together. I remember watching President George Bush. Uh, he seemed as though he was sincere. I felt as though we had someone looking after us. He seemed sincere in his uh, surprise of the attack, the ugliness of it, his love for the nation, and his... And I felt so, I was sold. We were all sold. Confidence uh, that we were all united. We're going to thrive. We're going to get through this. Cried many times that day. The following week, following uh, several weeks, matter of fact, every time it just swept over me how many people had died so tragically on that day. And for those weeks afterwards, months, matter of fact, for many, many years afterwards, if anyone challenged that narrative, those planes were hijacked and flew into those buildings and said stupid, ugly things like there were bombs in the buildings, they were detonated, they were controlled demolition. I was outraged. I just could not handle that. I could not handle anyone thinking, suggesting that people were capable of doing something that ugly. Well, many years passed. Around the year 2016, our life had continued to been being rocked by other things. Uh, family members being impacted by the opioid epidemic and uh, chronic Lyme disease had been a, a huge issue in, in our neighborhood and our family, matter of fact. Uh, and these are two issues I still talk about every day, issues that the government ignored in spite of impacting many people in the most significant way possible. And one thing led to the next. I took a change in my career, left my job as an analyst, and it morphed into doing whatever it is I'm doing right now as a citizen researcher and trying to support other people who do it, trying to find the truth. And then that moment happened when I realized people were capable of blowing up buildings with people in it just to paint a narrative. It's a really hard pill to swallow. Really hard. Very sad. But it happened. And now the question is, what can we do about it going forward so history doesn't repeat? That was my September 11, 2001, and this is me reflecting back on it 19 years later. God bless you, your family, United States of America, and this beautiful world we all get to share. Thank you. Hello, it's uh, Neil Sanders here. Um, I remember on 9-11, I'd been out the night before, I think, and I came back in quite early, and my mum was watching the news, and we basically we saw the second plane hit and the overwhelming thing that struck me was that that it all looked weird there was something that just didn't seem right about it and I remember watching the the Pentagon and looking at that and and just basically saying that something doesn't seem right about this and obviously at the time I wasn't as aware of things as, as I am now but it just didn't sit right with me um, and the thing was that America was the superpower at the time. I mean, I was I was young, obviously, and basically America had got this reputation as like 
as the the hero, the power, the untouchable. It's Rocky, it's Rambo, it's that sort of thing. And America was was really deemed as completely safe. It was it was the soldier, the police of the world. And so the fact that, that America had been attacked by anybody was was incredibly jarring. Um, because America were usually seen as, as the aggressor, obviously, in these, these types of things. And it was weird that they could be hurt. And I remember even as, as the story was coming out, when it, it sort of, the mainstream media started talking about Osama bin Laden and his connections to previous campaigns in Afghanistan and that sort of thing. The way that I rationalized it was, Oh, it's like Tommy, uh, Tommy Lee Jones' character in uh, Under Siege. He's a trained guy that's gone rogue and they've trained him up to be this sort of super spy or this super, you know, terrorist. And he's turned this power back on the American government. And obviously this, this didn't pan out to be accurate or true. Um, the first sort of film that I saw about it was the Nord A Brothers film, which was obviously a film from inside the buildings. And the vivid recollection I have of that is the, the people who were jumping off. There's periods in the film where, and it sounds distasteful, but it just sounds like um, rubbish bags full of water being thrown against the floor. And, and this, it really, really struck home that the sort of the, the personal horrors of the people that must have been unfortunate enough to be caught up in there. And the first time that I actually thought about it as, um, as a conspiracy, a friend of mine's grandfather had this DVD by Ed Begley Jr. It had Webster Tarpin, Dave Von Kleiser on there. And it was, it was a call to reopen, um, to re-examine the, uh, the evidence and, and look at what actually happened. And it was that that sort of, led me to to look into the, the the sort of conspiracies around it and from and from watching sort of various films there was a film that was actually on the bbc called the power of nightmares it was incredibly good that basically explained that al-qaeda or the concept of al-qaeda had been very much constructed by the british government in order to give an enemy or to to give a collective name to a series of people that they wanted to actually prosecute and so slowly my perception shifted from they were attacked to they um, allowed it to happen to they made it happen. And then obviously, basically, after that we had the invasion of Iraq and the war on terror. And it was very clear that a lot of this was all about drugs and oil. like. It wasn't so much seizing the oil as uh, so much as making that oil so it couldn't be sold. I mean, they did seal it as well, steal it as well, but he basically just put up the price of other people's oil. So it's kind of like in Goldfinger, where basically they didn't steal from Fort Knox, they destroyed the gold in Fort Knox, which meant that, that his gold was rarer and therefore worth more money. The amount of drugs that were coming out of Afghanistan and like being protected by American troops is, one of the biggest uh, scandals of uh, the century, really. I mean, it, it's right up there. It's a Iran-Contra point two. And I don't think it's any sort of coincidence that we're seeing like huge amounts of opioid dependency now. I mean, I know a lot of this is, is um, 
uh, tablets and, and uh, prescription drugs and stuff like that. But, you know, the idea's got there from somewhere, hasn't it, basically? Um, the evidence against Osama bin Laden, obviously incredibly, incredibly thin. The actual video that they showed of him confessing, which had the, the, the famous chubby bin Laden, is clearly not him and was, was debunked at the time by numerous people. Um, it was really, to be honest, it's kind of like I had sort of JFK moment really. It was, it was a time when something incredibly jarring and incredibly traumatising happened, which is one thing to cope with. But then after that, realising that probably elements of the government either allowed or, or made this happen, or stood aside and, and coerced people to, to do this dirty work for them, um, it changes your perspective of the world, and it really, it really was a was an incredible incident. And in many ways, even though it was so horrible, it, it opened a lot of people's eyes towards the potential for this type of action by governments against their own people. Greetings and hello, everybody out there. My name is John Prester, and I am the creator of It's Just Swamp Gas. And maybe some of those artwork you've seen out there, the, the grays of the days, you can follow me on It's Swamp on Twitter and Facebook and all the other social places that you may go. I just want to do a big uh, thank you to uh, one of my good friends and a great guy in the community, Billy Ray Valentine, for all he does and all he continues to do as well as shedding the light and continuing to shed the light on the 9-11 truth. So it's coming up, it's here, it helped open my eyes and, and bring me to the, to the forefront of thought for all of this. So as always, I would encourage everyone to keep asking questions about everything that you see out there and ask the question about Building 7 if anybody asks you what happened with 9-11 or if they are a little confused and they need to be brought to the forefront, just ask them to explain Building 7. Thanks again and thank you to Billy. Okay, my name is Mark H. Gaffney. I'm the author of two books about the September 11 attacks. Uh, the 9-11 Mystery Plane came out in 2008 and the Black 9-11 in 2012. And I've got a second edition that came out in 2016. I added a couple of chapters. So these are, this is, I spent 10 years investigating these uh, September 11 attacks. And I can tell you, this was a false flag operation. There's no question about it. The buildings were brought down with explosives. They did this in broad daylight in front of the whole world. And they think about that. Think about the, you know, the, uh, the, the mindset of these people to think that they, they, they thought they were going to get away with this. And they did. Up to now, they've gotten away with it. Uh, it's up to the people of, of, the, of our country and the people of the United States to set this right. You know, it's on us to do this. Nobody else is gonna do it if we don't. And we've seen what, since the attacks we've seen, we've had 20 years of war, continuous war. We have troops now in over a hundred countries, uh, hundreds of military bases around the world. And it just goes on and on. There's no end to it. This is. We, we are really, our war machine is out of control, folks. And this was ramped up as a result of the 9-11 attacks. This was a pretext to expand U.S. imperial uh, control over much or most of the world and to force the world to, uh, to compel the world to, uh, to do, basically just threaten the world into following our lead, doing what we tell them to do.
and there's no there's no diplomacy anymore. Uh, it's all military threats, sanctions, and so on. This has to change. This is not sustainable. If this continues, it leads to nuclear war eventually. Give me a little bit of. So I want to encourage. Oh, I'm sorry. Do your due diligence. Let this issue die. Keep talking about it. Keep researching it. And do not allow falsehoods to pass uncorrected. So if you hear someone talking about 9/11 in a way that is untruthful, set them right. Keep keep setting the record correct. It takes a lot of patience, and and uh, but you know this. It's up to us to do this. No one else is going to do it. I was on my way to work. I was getting ready to leave my house to go to work when uh, my uh, fellow uh, colleague uh, called me up and told me to turn on the television. And like everyone else, I was completely shocked and uh, you know traumatized by this uh, by this whole crazy circumstance. Um, I I didn't know what to think. You know, I tend to be a skeptical person, so I I'm not necessarily prepared to, to accept the official story on an issue, but it took me a long time. It took me years before I finally got to the point where I uh, started to investigate. I didn't actually start to investigate until someone handed me a copy of David Ray Griffin's book, The New Pearl Harbor. And uh, that that made me think. He started raising questions and, you know, raising good questions, very, very important. And I, I started my own line of investigation at that point, and, and this led me into the writing of two books. So uh, everybody, everyone is at a different point on the, the, on, the, you know, on the curve, on the learning curve. And we all start from a point of denial. So we have to be patient with one another. Uh, you know, and I never got it. I never went along with this, uh, these bickering and fighting in the 9-11 truth community. I tried to stay out of that. Uh, that doesn't serve anyone's purpose. So uh, I want to encourage all of you to, to follow your own instincts. You know, listen to that that truth, that guru inside of yourself, uh, because it's undoubtedly telling you the right. It's telling you the truth. So follow that light. Hi, this is Donald Jeffries. I'm the author of several books, including uh, The Unreals, Survival of the Riches. Bullyocracy, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776-1963, and the book that covers the subject that uh, I'm being asked about, 9-11, in depth, Hidden History, a modern expose, an expose of modern crimes, conspiracies, and cover-ups in American politics. Uh, I remember on September 11, 2001, taking my uh, daughter to, who was uh, probably, I guess, seven then, taking her, uh, walking her to the bus stop, as I always did, and kind of watching her get on the bus and talking to a few of the moms, and then uh, went home, and I had worked late, as I did often in those days, uh, overnight in IT, so I went back and went to sleep. And uh, my wife called me from work, and I thought something was wrong with one of the kids, and you know, she said, hey, you turn on the TV, turn on the TV, and I said, what? You know, so uh, I said, the world is ending, and I said, what? And I, I was in a, you know, in a fog. So I turned it on, and I remember the first thing I saw was that ridiculous Rudy Giuliani walking like live with all the smoke and everything around, walking at the you know, ground zero or whatever, and I'm thinking, what? What the hell is going on? And she said, my wife said, you know, they bombed the Pentagon, they bombed the World Trade Center. I said, what? So, uh, you know, I, I woke up pretty quickly, and uh, 
probably uh, within, I think once I saw Rudy Giuliani walking along and I thought, I probably instantly, <laughs> I doubted whatever they were selling. So uh, then I began watching the, uh, you know, and I saw the uh, the buildings collapse like that. And uh, it looked so theatrical to me. It looked so Hollywoodish. And it looked like so many uh, scenes I'd seen of, of buildings uh, being imploded or detonated. So I, I was instantly... You know, I, I didn't. Uh, I, I'm sure probably would have been the same way. I was only seven when JFK was assassinated. I probably would have caught him pretty quickly there. But uh, it, by this time, you know, I had been already studying these things for so long that uh, I was instantly skeptical. Needless to to say, and uh, fortunately, the internet was uh, pretty powerful then, and that was when it was still a little bit of the Wild West element, where it was a lot freer. And so you had a lot more stuff online. You had, you know, of course, people like Jim Fetzer, the late great Jack White, who were, you know, doing great photos and showing how impossible this story was. And they were in Jack White gets no credit for a lot of stuff. And he was one of the first to really look in depth. He was a photography expert at uh, Building 7 and show how, you know, this is ridiculous. There weren't really any fires there. It's possible there's no way that collapsed from fire. And, uh, so I, I was immediately drawn into that world, and uh, <clears throat> uh, what's impressed me most is that even unlike the JFK assassination, there's, there were a couple, very few, but a very few things snuck through in the mainstream media, or you had the Men Who Killed Kennedy series that was on the History Channel for years until LBJ's people pressured them to take it off, and it hasn't been seen since. Uh, so you had that, at least, a few little crumbs, and certainly talk radio, people like Mark Lane and Harold Weisberg were on there, but in 9-11... The, the, the mainstream media was absolutely absolutely shut down. There were they never see, saw anything. I think Fetzer or somebody might have gone on Fox News once to be ridiculed, but um, but it was just for that. They didn't give them a chance. You're not you would didn't see any debates on 9/11 anywhere on any television station. If you if you see a documentary coming on about 9/11, you know what it's going to be. It's the same kind of thing. The, the, the emotional stories and the footage and no analysis of how you know impossible at all it is, but. Um, that was interesting. In my book, Hidden History, I talked to uh, people like uh, <clears throat> Scott Forrest, who worked in the uh, Twin Towers, and was off that day. But uh, he was—he he went to England. Uh, he pretty much fled the country, and he still sensed his voice. And he talked about how uh, he tried to tell the the, uh, the Port Authority and the NYPD, and then the 9/11 Commission. He tried to tell the authorities about how the unexplained power outages that they had in the building leading up to that date and how they'd never they'd worked there for years and they were all talking about it they'd never seen anything else like it and they didn't want to they had no interest in the story and later when the 9-11 report was published they just lied and said the rumors about the power outages proved to be unfounded again these were people that worked there experienced it firsthand but they weren't interested in investigating anything so um needless to say this uh i think uh, and the this is as i'm recording this this is the anniversary today 19 years ago and uh I don't think you're going to find one word of skepticism. I mean, Donald Trump may, you know, may decide to throw a crumb somewhere in, in a tweet. I doubt it, but who knows? Maybe you can blame Joe Biden or something. But uh, other than that, you're not going to see any kind of skepticism anywhere, and you'll have the same kind of, uh, you know, pointless uh, emotional tugging and memorials and stuff, and uh, uh, no analysis and how much this this event changed us like no other. And I think it paved the way to the situation we're in today because I, I call America before September 11, 2001, America 1.0. 
And ever since then, I started calling us America 2.0. Now we're morphing into, I don't know, America 3.0 or something, but we're not the same country. Uh, we, we lost a lot of civil liberties that day. The Patriot Act was tremendously unconstitutional. Nobody is talking about rescinding it, nobody on the left or right. Uh, Homeland Security is now a monstrosity. It's ensconced in there, totally unconstitutional, free speech zones, all of this stuff was born out of uh, the, the people accepting this absurd story. So um, when you talk about people being awake and trying to wake people up, certainly the 9-11 is much more relevant to our uh, what we see today than JFK assassination is, uh, although they're both important. So uh, I think uh, today I hope people reflect on it and I hope they seek out alternative shows like Billy Ray's and my show. I also host on the TFR, uh, the show I protest where I've, I certainly have talked about this before, and books like mine and, and others who have tried to expose the truth about an event that uh, totally transformed our country. My name is Charlie Robinson. I am the author of The Octopus of Global Control and the host of Macroaggressions podcast on Apple and Spotify and iHeartRadio and David Icke's iconic video platform. And talking about 9-11, thinking about 9-11, and where I was that day. I wasn't in Manhattan, in New York. I was in Manhattan Beach in Southern California, living with a couple roommates at the time. And I remember that on that morning, we had another friend staying over because he and one of my roommates were going to get on a flight early that morning to Portland. And I start to get... They're waking me up at like 6 o'clock. They had to get up early to catch their flight, and they're waking me up at 6 o'clock. And I'm thinking, oh, I mean, do I need to give them a ride or, you know, what's going on? And they said, you've, you've got to come out here. You've got to see what's happened. And I don't, you know, obviously, I don't know what to think. And I get out, and I see the first tower on fire. And then we all see the, the plane hit the second tower. And it was... You know, it's surreal, obviously. Now, looking back on it, after you've seen it 500 times on the nightly news, it desensitizes you to it. But the first time you see it, and when you see it happen live, with the plane, the second plane crashing, I mean, it's just like it short circuits your brain, right? We didn't have a an understanding of this. It was hard to comprehend what we, I mean, we understood. We, we saw what we saw. We knew what we were seeing, but we were thinking, was this some sort of pilot with a suicide wish? Was this, uh, you know, things have, did things just go wrong in the car? I mean, we just couldn't, we didn't allow our brains to get to that point. I, I, you know, I'd like to say I was Bill Cooper, right? And on the morning of September 11th, I had it all figured out. I didn't, I had no idea what was going on. Didn't take, I didn't figure it out for years, but that day, we all just obviously the flight was going to be canceled so my friends didn't go to the go to the airport we all just stayed and we sat on the couch and we watched this insanity and for some reason for lunch we all decided we were going to go to McDonald's <laughs> which is insane because we never go to McDonald's but it was a crazy day and so we were thinking we would we would that's what we were in, inclined to do and we were just talking it out we were trying to process it and Obviously, we, you know, you start to hear terrorism and all this stuff, but we didn't have the context to know how deep these things go. Now, years later, 
I look back on 9-11 and that was what woke me up uh, in general, 9-11, but Building 7 in particular. You didn't see that on the nightly news on the night of September 11th, 2001. You, you didn't see, I mean, you didn't really see it on the nightly news ever. And so it was something I was unaware of. And, and considering how much coverage there was of every aspect of this attack, the fact that they failed to mention that a third building, a 47-story steel frame high-rise, came down in its own footprint at free fall speed later that day, the fact that they never reported on that when they were reporting on every minute, stupid detail they could find was obviously a big red flag to me. And then, you know, so you, you realize if, if that building, Building 7, was wired for demolition, then they all were. And what does that mean? What is the re ramifications of that? What well, means that this whole thing was much different than what we were led to believe. Um, it exposed a lot of problems uh, with our society. It exposed to me, in retrospect, that the mainstream media is unbelievably corrupt and dirty and co-conspirators in this. Not every person, I know, obviously, but, but the media's involvement in this was reprehensible. The amount of live exercises and drills that were taking place on that day is not accidental, was not accidental. Uh, it was deliberate and it made me angry in a way that fueled me to write my book, The Octopus of Global Control, that takes a look at control structures. And obviously you talk about 9-11 in there. It was, it was, it's the most pivotal you know, event in my lifetime. And I'm, I still think about it, you know, we're at 19 years now. And it, it could be easy for some people to dismiss that as being ancient history. And, you know, what are we going to do about it? And all these justifications that people invent so that they don't have to actually think about it or actually do something or actually contemplate what it means that you have an inside and outside job. I believe 9-11 was conducted by both the a faction of the United States Intelligence Agency as well as external countries. And, um, and that's alarming, obviously, because you, you, you think about 9-11, you think, well, that could never, that sounds insane that this would be invented but then you find out about Operation Northwoods, that the CIA had concocted this plan of blowing up, you know, jetliners and blaming it on the Cubans and things like that. And, and Kennedy says, we're not doing that. That's, insa that's insanity. We're not, we're not participating in that. Well, the plans never really went away. And they rolled that out eventually, and it changed the world from here on out. And I think about 9-11 a lot these days when thinking about the current corona situation. Lots of drills in advance, simulating things that wound up happening exactly like the drills. That's a big red flag. You've got a lot of the same people, you know, some overlap there. Organizations uh, involved in, in these these drills and, and even individuals that are making comebacks. Uh, so I have, um, I don't think about 9-11 every single day, but 
I think about it enough because it changed the United States in a way that a whole generation of people don't know what it was like before the Patriot Act and don't know what it was like before the Department of Homeland Security and, and uh, you know, and the TSA and, and groups like they just assume these have always been there and they haven't been. They're a byproduct of 9-11. But 9-11 wasn't what it appeared to be. So where do how do we unroll how do we roll this back? Can we roll this back? And I don't th I think the answer is that we can't roll it back. And when I look at the coronavirus situation and all these temporary measures, and I get that same vibe again, and it really freaks me out. So it's important for us. Yeah, you're going to focus on the new events that come up and we're going to because they're fresh and current. But we can never forget about 9-11 because that was the fork in the road for the United States when you allow a group of psychopaths to attack their own country as the pretext to start major wars that killed millions of people. You realize that you're dealing with pure evil. And it doesn't matter if it's been 19 years or 119 years, it's still going to be important. It'll always be important. And that's why it's a good idea to talk about it, even if it's painful.